the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Ari's in the Finley Toyota Studios. Battleborn Injury Alert is nice enough to uh, lend us their podcast studio. We're here today and tomorrow. Adam Hill is the company. Steve Cofield. Let's get into some of the headlines in this 5 o'clock hour. By the way, later on, we're going to have a conversation with Kevin Kruger, believe it or not. The uh, running Rebels open their basketball season in a little over two weeks. It's pretty crazy that college basketball is here. This is that time of year, and I know Adam loves all these sports. We start getting the, the crossover with college college football, college basketball, the NFL. We've got VGK just starting off here, the NBA. It's pure craziness. Uh, tonight's a really big night for Phil Castle. I was going to say it's a really big night for the Golden Knights. Yeah, they want to win. Uh, they want to crush a rival who they've been crushing a lot recently. How big a deal is this going to be you know, across the bow uh, with all of the NHL? What sort of coverage is it going to get nationally? Well, they're, they're putting on ESPN, and they're going to have the whole crew out there, and it's going to be a big thing. I mean, the comparisons that I was talking about last night with some people are this is hockey's version of something we saw on a massive scale, the Cal Ripken game. Like This is hockey's version of that. And it's not on that level, of course. I mean, Major League Baseball is America's pastime, and numbers are so significant. But this is hockey's version of it. This is a guy who is setting the record for most consecutive games played, just like Ripken did. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. It's very weird. Uh, was sitting in, in the uh, Raiders media room today uh, with several you know, people that cover football exclusively. And I said, why is tonight's Golden Knights game significant? Not one of them knew. So, that, I mean, and that's not a critique of them. Yeah. It's more of where does this fall on the radar? This should be a massive thing, but it tells you where hockey is. Well, it's a hockey thing. That is not right. It tells you where I, hockey I've is. Noticed, not. I've noticed a bunch of times that uh, I'll say you guys, right, because you're out covering the Raiders a lot more than I am, and I see some of the people drop in for UNLV coverage. There's a lot of times that uh, – I think media people are on the sports bubble and they assume everything that happens sports in Vegas, like every other athlete pays attention to like when the aces won the championship, there were a bunch of aces questions. And I was always like eh, cringing a bit. If an athlete from another sport, you know, at UNLV, whatever is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And yeah. it's sometimes the same thing happens with the golden Knights. Does everyone know about the Raiders? Maybe. I, I think a lot of it comes down to, Athletes are in season, man. Some are really big sports fans. Some aren't sports fans. And you start asking about some like deep reference on another sport in town. They're like, I don't, I don't, I have no idea. I don't know. Well, and, and like, do you, do you go to the Golden Knights and you're like, Hey, let's do some Raiders talk. Not, that's not the presentation. I'm talking about media people though. Oh yeah. Oh wow. I'm sorry. I totally missed that. Yeah. I'm talking about media people. Sorry. I just went on this whole thing about uh, media being off base thinking that. All the athletes know about the other athletes. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. And, I mean, t- to that point, I mean, I uh, I had asked a couple of the Notre Dame guys in the Raiders locker room, to yeah. your point, yeah. last week about UNLV, and they were like, is that who we're playing this yeah, week? Yeah, they, bar- they would barely know, unless it's a big robbery. <laughs> right. But that's – they li- literally, they wear Notre Dame gear around the right, locker room. Right, they love right. Notre Dame. I saw all three of them at the Notre Dame-BYU game at Allegiant Stadium. They're, Notre Dame is hosting the team they share a stadium with didn't know so i mean it, to your point like that that is the case but yeah I, I i'm asking media people wow who just don't know 
and, and so I, all I'm all I'm and I'm, again I'm not criticizing them I'm I'm more taking the the stance of this is a massive deal in hockey and it just doesn't really register necessarily across other sports for people that don't follow hockey uh and man it also brought up to me the the memories of some of the Cal Ripken stuff which was such a massive story in Phil Kessel yeah but for us Ripken was Ripken was gigantic uh speaking of massive I think it's a massive story when in the bowels of a stadium right after a game a referee is trying to be (laughs) friends with a player but apparently the NFL is going to shovel some BS our way and say it's no big deal I didn't like this story at all. Describe no. the beginning, the front end of this whole thing, of what happened. So what happened yesterday was a video surfaced after a game. Uh, one of the officials from the Buccaneers-Panthers game was waiting in the tunnel for Mike Evans, called him over, had a pen and a piece of paper. It was actually – waiting is not exactly accurate. Mike Evans was walking and just about into the locker room, and then all of a sudden you hear, Mike, 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 Mike. Like, this guy is running frantically – to get after Mike Evans. And the, the, the thing that gets me... One of the officials was kind of circling, waiting for him, though. Okay. One, the thing that got me was that officials are... That this might be such the norm that they fraternize with athletes. Yeah. That you're in a you're in the bowels of the stadium. There's camera phones everywhere. Sure. Like, are you an idiot? Do you know? Like, they don't even think how bad this is going to look. And that someone is videoing and taping all the time. And it's not like some private thing. Mike Evans is running off the field. Sometimes you just grab video. Of yep. guys hugging or whatever. Yep. The well, fact especially that right think, after they, the Devontae the, Adams thing. The official is totally comfortable doing this. Must yeah. do it all the time. And so everybody assumed yesterday from watching that that the referee was, it's his last year, one of the officials, was getting an autograph from Mike Evans saying, hey, look, this is a guy that I've called his games and now I'm walking away. Let me get his autograph. Uh, the NFL said they did an investigation. That's not the case and we're moving on. <laughs> Didn't answer what was what it was, what happened, anything like that. Some more investigation or some more questions were asked. Okay, if he wasn't getting an autograph, what was he doing? Now, the story is, and I'll say this. I believe it. I actually believe this. That there was some discussion during the game. Mike Evans and the official, both Texas A&M alums. There was another Texas A&M alum that was offering Mike Evans golf lessons. And he was passing along the message. And the official said, I'll get your number after the game and pass it on to him. And that's what happened. I don't like that either. Like, to me, that that's not, oh, okay. Like, a lot of people are saying, I don't believe this story. I believe the story. Yeah. I just don't see how that's any better. How is it better that he's communicating to him during a game? Hey, my guy wants to give you some golf lessons. All right, cool. You're supposed to be impartial calling this game. So you're orchestrating this deal you're out on the field. You call offensive interference on Mike Evans. And now after the game, you've got to be like, uh, get that number. Right. And he tells you to go screw off. So you don't want that to happen to you. And maybe none of those things would have happened. Right. But the appearance is there. It's a bad look. It's a bad, bad look. Did you see? I also noticed there was a side video where that side judge, you know, that, that horrific drop on the middle of the field by Mike Evans. Yeah. The side judge came in waving his arms. Like it was a catch. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I made that up. Sure. You think for a second, he's like, how do I, how do I fix uh, this? It was so bad. How do I fix it? Pass interference. Yes. Throw the flag. <laughs> he was held. He had his arm. Yeah. Sir. He was four yards ahead. Wide open. The defensive. Uh, hold it. Holding. Get seven yards. Before the, yeah. Come on. It's, it's a really, really bad look. So the, the, even if you're going to choose to believe the alternate uh, alternate explanation, which I do, bad look. 
I don't, I don't, I accept the explanation. I don't accept that that's okay. I hope, I hope they talk to these guys and they're like, you, you gotta, you gotta keep conversations between you and the players, like away from the stadium. You can't be on camera. Don't uh, be stupid. I'm going to say I don't want you to ever contact them. I, well, I, I agree. But they I, should not I think know your pe- name. People coming back and be like, they're, I mean, they're real people too. Okay, well, in, in, the, in the off season, Maybe. No. I think Adam's against that too. I am. They should not know. who I, I want officials to be in full masks <laughs> and anonymous. <laughs> like, like the like, like, anon- screen, like, like, like a, anonymous yeah. on the web. Yeah, like a screen mask. That's that's how I want the officials out on the field. So we don't know who they are. You don't talk to them. You don't know that they have a family. You don't ask them before the game. Hey, how's how's the wife? How's the kids? No, no, they are off limits to you. You don't know them as people. Big headline for the Raiders today. They move on from Johnny Hankins. He's been with the organization for a while. Just hasn't played real well or often. Recently, last two years weren't two of his greatest years. They uh, move a veteran to Dallas, John Hankins, the defensive lineman. They get a six-round pick back. They trade a seventh-round pick, so basically a a pick swap. So what's next? Who's going to step up in this spot? Because, you know, as you mentioned a while ago, they didn't get a replacement for John Hankins in the deals or someone else in the organization, practice squad, someone they'll sign from outside the organization, someone from this draft. Well, they do have a roster spot available, so that's possible they could bring somebody in, either at defensive tackle or somewhere else on the roster but i think in the short term in the immediate aftermath of the trade uh part of it was to get more playing time for neil farrell rookie uh who has been playing a little bit more uh and i think they want to see him even more and one of the things one of the things patrick graham talked about the defensive coordinator today was he's been doing it on the practice field he's been earning time on the practice field so when you do that it clears space for you to be able to play in a game and this move allows that a little bit more chance to happen. I mean, he could still play anyway, as he was. He was getting more and more reps. But, you know, the the absence of Hankins will make him more prevalent, give him more opportunities uh, to see what he can do with those opportunities. And if he succeeds, and he'll get even more opportunities there. Uh, Matthew Butler's another guy in the interior of the defensive line who hasn't really been active. Uh, they've just kind of been biding their time a little bit. He's been uh, pretty much a healthy scratch. And maybe he's a guy that can step up and get more time and at least be active on game day and find out what he has potentially. So uh, they're definitely clearing out some space uh, for some of the younger players moving on from a guy who's 30, who's seen his, his performance and his um, just his usage in general decline over the last couple of weeks and wasn't going to be useful or necessary anymore for this team. And so they are able to not, not acquire a draft pick. They got a, it was a pick swap, right? Uh, they traded a player and a seventh-round pick for a sixth-round pick. So, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, what they plan to do moving forward, whether the, it's to use that roster spot or to just to get more time for the rookies. But I think in the short term, it's to get more time for the rookies, including Furl. It's very early, but so far, Thayer Munford has played well. The fact that he's challenging for starts and playing a lot of snaps is incredible for where he was picked. Is it too early to look at this draft and go, man, they did a pretty good job? Too early? Because, I mean – wasn't like you know people were clamoring over uh, Farrell and you know Butler in the early rounds. Well, Dylan Parham, I think, is is one that you look at and say, "Good job." Okay, um, he's you been. Get my point, right? There, we've sure. got we've got fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders challenging for playing time six games into the season. Yeah, I, I think. Well, on on the surface, for sure, and they you know found a couple of guys in for, in rookie free agency that they that they like as well. So 
Um, I, I think they did a good job of kind of identifying some needs, identifying some players in later rounds you can use. And of course, using your first two picks on Devontae Adams, pretty good move as well uh, in the draft. Uh, but, you know, I think it's probably too early because the thing I point to is you made a clear statement in your draft that you were moving on from Josh Jacobs. That was the statement in the draft. Mm-hmm. I remember writing it that day. I remember talking to them right. that day. Like, you guys have made this statement now. You are yeah. done with Josh Jacobs. And now Josh Jacobs is the third leading rusher in the league and is playing his way into a big contract either here or somewhere else. So that would be the, the thing that I would say is, okay, well, let's wait and see what works out there. Right. Because you used a lot of resources on running backs, and you are only using one running back at this point. If he were to go out this year and rush and receive for 1,500 yards, and then they give him what they think is a pretty good deal, and he takes it. One of your big talking points is, why did you just do this when you could have had him in the fifth year by just picking up the option? Is there is there anything wrong with – I mean, I, they're not going to say it, but, I mean, is there anything wrong with the football organization going, you know what, we were wrong, and we need him, and we want to pay him close to market value. We we miscalculated. We need him. No, I mean, I, I think okay. part of part of – being a good organization is admitting when you do make a mistake and trying to rectify you, you do. I mean, we went through this with the Niners when the Niners finally got Garoppolo in the fold and renegotiated his contract. There were a lot of people out there who were like, this is an embarrassment. Like they were wrong. All right. They were wrong. They didn't feel as comfortable with Trey Lance going into the season as they thought they would. Now, and as it turns out, Lance got hurt, but sometimes it's okay for an organization. It's not ideal, but I, I know, I know what's going to happen. If they sign him to a long deal, there's going to be people out there who are like, idiots! Why don't you just pick up the fifth year? Sometimes they get it wrong. But I, I also feel like it's important to do that. Like, it's important to say you were wrong. Okay. That is, that's part of it. Like, if you, if, you, if you try to come out after the year and you sign him to a big contract and you say, no, oh, it was all part of the plan because we wanted to pay him more. Like, wait, what, what? You have to say, look, we made a mistake. We missed... We misidentified. We were just taking over the team, misidentified what the strengths and weaknesses were. We didn't realize how good or how important he was, and we really made a mistake, and now we're going to fix that by giving him his contract. That's totally fine. But if you try to talk around it and sound silly, then that's where it's an issue. Still giveaway here, 364-1100, Caller 7, talk to Ari. Elton John tickets. Elton John farewell tour. Elton John at Allegiant on November 1st. We've got a pair of tickets right now. This is awesome. Three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. Caller number seven. Talk to Ari for Elton John tickets. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ, or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. I would lean toward Mac Jones. I think Max's question is fair. You know, is he progressing? He hasn't looked like he's progressed. I think the question would be, how do we get him to progress if you're the Patriots? Not sure that's what they're going to do. And it sounded like Mac wasn't sure if that's what they're going to do. So curious what Bill Belichick decides. But to me, that would probably be the way to go. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. It's funny as people are trying to decipher what Belichick's going to do with Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. I think Belichick's in a position where, and this is this happens from time to time. And this is why, you know, I know you like using them, and this is why I like using PFF, because PFF breaks down every element for a player and their situation, not just what we see. 
And, you know, I brought up the other day, Harrison Bailey and Cam Friel. You would think that Bailey blew away Cam Friel at Notre Dame in terms of the numbers. That was not the case. But the people at PFF are watching every little thing. And I get the feeling, I mean, Mac Jones' health affects this situation. But I get the feeling that what we think we're seeing might be spectacular play from Bailey Zappi. When the Patriots are breaking it down, they're like, there's a lot of flaws. A lot of flaws. And we still like Mac better. But they can't, they're not going to come out and say that. And now they can kind of use the Jones injury because he didn't look 100% last night. No. Uh, and I think that's part of why he didn't get the start, you know, the 100% start. Because like, apparently the plan was to rotate them. They wanted to get him back in, but he wasn't going to play the whole game. But I think there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that Belichick does not want to talk about. Like, we, we're still not sold on Zappy. We still like what Jones is and what he's done, and especially what he did last year. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I think there's no question. I think they know a lot more than they're saying, of course, too, right. as they always do. Uh, but it's, it's but, but you, you understand people are like, well, even Belichick doesn't really know. Like, he knows. Yeah. And Bailey Zappi kind of stinks. So, Mac Jones is, is hurt, of course, we saw, and he wasn't fully healthy last night. Bailey Zappi came in in a couple of games where he wasn't scouted, nobody knew about him, and he had some success. We see this all the time. How mm -hmm. often do we see a backup quarterback come into a game, have success, and like, this is the guy now, and he starts, and he's terrible, because now there's a book on him, and they're prepared for him. So Zappi was, didn't have tape. They weren't. They didn't know what to expect. He came out and had a couple of nice throws. He had some wide-open guys. He hit them in the last couple of weeks. Then yesterday, they prepared for Mac Jones because he was starting. Zappi comes in. Oh, yeah, we do have a book on this guy, but he has a couple of drives where it's it's a struggle. Then you go in at halftime and say, all right, we knew what his tendencies were. Here's what they are, and you shut him down. Like It's pretty obvious what happened, but everybody wants to make bigger deals about it. And well, the, It's Zappi, and everybody's excited about him, and they cheer for him. There was a spark. Sure, there was a spark while the Bears went and figured out their game plan again and said, Hell, oh, look, this is the scouting we had on this guy. Here's how we approach it. And then you shut him down. Two of the three worst players for the Patriots on offense last night by PF, uh, PFF were Mac Jones, dead last. Bailey Zappi, third to last. Yeah. They weren't like, good. Like the grade isn't that much better. No. No. I mean, that's, that's not surprising. And again, I, I think. Zappy would have probably been worse if not for a couple of really, really nice plays when he first came in when they weren't scouted. And then Jones, I think, would have been better if not being hurt. Like, I don't think Mac Jones is good. I've never been a Mac Jones is some great player guy, but he's better than Bailey Zappy when he's 100%. That's, I think that's clear, and I think that's how they're going to approach it. Patriots going to finish where in the AFC East? Fourth. You think? I think a lot of what the Jets were doing on offense was due to Brees Hall. And I don't know, maybe it's maybe it was due to this patchwork offensive line. I don't know how they're going to survive on the well, offensive now, line. The Jets. Vera Tucker's down now. Vera Tucker down and backed in. And now Dwayne Brown is just coming back. You know, fans hurt. They're, they're just beat to snot. I'm actually shocked that you haven't thrown in the mention for the Dolphins because they're second. Okay. Um, I know I've heard a lot of you talk about Tua's arm. That it sucks. I'll tell you what, in short spaces, when he needs to get the ball the 15 yards or 8 yards or 10 yards, he's fine. And he gets it out quick. You think I'm going to pick against Mike McDaniel? I figured you'd be somewhat objective, but I forgot about oh, that on. big factor. Come on. They're the second best team. They might be the best team in the AFC. Boy, those two guys, uh, Waddle and 
Yeah, he's a little beat up, but uh, Tyreek Hill crossing all over the field is nuts. Especially if they get, if they go fast, wow, it's a good offense. Yeah, when when two is there to work it, yep, uh, it's, it's a pretty good offense. And obviously they've got a couple of running backs that are good. Mike McDaniel is a genius. God, if as much as I love him being the coach of the Dolphins, I really wish he was still the offensive coordinator in San Francisco with McCaffrey now. Oh my goodness, with three guys who you don't know are lining up on on a given play, it could line up anywhere. Oh, the possibilities of what yeah. could be done in that offense. Collinsworth was like friggin' rodding up over uh, Mostert and the run game. Yeah. Just going crazy about it. Well, it's he was the guy who designed the offense, and what have I often said about San Francisco's offense and it's football porn? He was the guy. And now he's brought it to Miami. Yep. Big victory by uh, Mike McDaniel in the battle of uh, two of the elite African-American coaches in the NFL. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3 to 6 show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. It's a blessing to, you know, be in this position. Man, I, I think it's more of a credit to the offensive line. I come back to them all the time because it's, I feel like this is the first time in a long time where I've had four to five yards without being touched by anybody, you know what I'm saying? So they making it pretty easy on me, and I'm going to make sure I take care of it. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas. Raiders running back Josh Jacobs, another big game over the weekend. Believe it or not, college football season is right around, check that, college basketball season is right around the corner. Kevin Kruger, the head coach of the Running Rebels, getting his team ready with a couple of closed scrimmages. We're not really supposed to know a whole lot of details about the scrimmage, but was out there this morning, and I wanted to ask him about the first scrimmage. There's another one coming up on Saturday, and I started off the conversation with Kevin Kruger just saying, hey, these scrimmages going into that first one, what are some of the goals? Goals were just get reps against somebody else. You know, anytime you can have that opportunity to, to play against a different group with, you know, where you don't know their tendencies and you don't, you know, know their rhythm and their pattern, I think it, it's great for us. Uh, uh, one of the reasons the Canada trip was so big for us, you know, to, to get that group together uh, against somebody else that has a scouting report and schemes and styles and you know, so to go out there and, and do what you've been working on against you know, people outside of your team is, uh, is always a, uh, a benefit. So you have another one coming up this weekend. What do you want to clean up? What do you want to see that, you know, in terms of improvement from scrimmage one? Yeah, I, th- I think just that. You know, we just want to clean it up. Uh, I think uh, we did a lot of really good things in the scrimmage and a lot of, had a lot of really positive moments. And uh, I think we're getting to the point now where when we don't do what we know we're supposed to do, it sticks out. Um, so it really just comes down to getting, you know, another day of reps against a group that we don't know, a group of guys we've never played against. Um, we will, of course, talk about uh, the roster and, and tendencies, but you don't have a lot of, of film to work with or, or any film from this year to work with. So you go got to go off years past. And just to give you guys a little bit of a head start, because, again, we're like we've talked about, you know, it, it's not the Canada trip where we just went in and told them, hey, guys, figure it out. You know, that's this, that's what this trip is about. But it's also not the first game where we're going to do a, a deep dive. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. Uh, we want our guys to be ready and prepared, but we also want them to, you know, have the have an opportunity to figure things out, talk to each other and, and learn and adapt and communicate. And, and uh, so I think, you know, the, 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 that's the biggest benefit of having these scrimmages. When you talk about what they're supposed to do, 
defense, offense? Like, what what are they supposed to be doing? What are some general things they're supposed to be doing? Uh, yeah, just a couple general things we've been talking a lot about lately, and really emphasize you know spacing offensively. You know, there's times where we can kind of be standing next to each other. Um, so, and that showed in the scrimmage. You know, when we had good spacing and making plays for each other, uh, uh, we looked really good. And then the times and the and the the sets and the the half court sets where we were standing right next to each other. You know, we, we didn't get a lot going, and so. Again, having that opportunity against somebody else, where the the it's again it's not the lights of the first game, but it is the lights and the intensity and atmosphere against someone else. So uh, you know, having that to show or and having that on film is 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 really good on the offensive side. And then defensively, just keeping the ball in front and of course rebounding. Um, you know, a lot of just the the small things we've been trying to emphasize. Uh, you know, mainly, of course, just, just sitting down, sliding, and, and guarding, and helping each other, and then rebounding. So the the first scrimmage, you mentioned it was a big team. So first of all, how did the team react to playing a big team? Because there's going to be a lot of you know big opponents in the Mountain West Conference. Yeah, I think it was great for us uh, to play a team that had size, had strength, and uh, tries to to play out of the post. Um, because as we saw last year, uh, there's a lot of, of teams that have a lot of capable guys playing with their back to the basket, putting pressure on you defensively. So to, uh, to be able to do that in the first game, I think, or the first scrimmage was was good for us. It was a good uh, opportunity to to put in what we've been working on and, and what we know we're going to see a handful of times this year. So in the Mountain West, as I mentioned, a lot of big lineups, San Diego State certainly, and Wyoming recruited even more size inside and out. So as you built the roster here, we've talked a lot during the summer about how often you're going to play, you know, true four or five versus maybe a small four, basically four out and and one, one big in. I mean, is it going to be kind of fluid throughout the season? Because, you know, there are going to be some teams in the Mountain West who are going to basically require you to play two bigs. Yeah, I think even with our non-conference schedule, we're going to see a couple teams that play five out. And then we're going to see, you know, once, especially when conference rolls around, we're going to see uh, some times where we're playing against two bigs. And uh, uh, so... Yeah, I think uh, just at the end of the day, these scrimmages are a great opportunity to not necessarily look for exactly what you're playing against, but at the same time, they kind of fit a category of the teams you're going to play against. If you have a seven or eight man rotation, who are some of the guys just behind them who could come on maybe you know middle of the season, late in the season? Because as it turns out every year, it seems like you need eight, nine, ten because you know guys get hurt during the season. You need depth. Well, yeah, and especially the last few years with with COVID the way it's been, and and uh, back in you know the roller coaster that that is, and then of course with injuries, you know, anytime you you feel a, a bit more confident, I think, and we we have a bit more confidence in 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 our thirteen guys that are on scholarship, and of course the two guys helping us that aren't that or that are walk-ons, or I think at any point in the time you really could see you know a, a number of different guys out there, just because uh, guys are going to go through periods in the in the season where they don't feel like they're playing well. They just don't have a lot of confidence. So anytime we can, you know, have a guy that's ready to step up and, and, and help each other and help the team out, I think that's just an added luxury. Uh, Vicky Waco is going to be a, a big player in this whole thing because he allows you to play a little bit bigger even at 6'7". So where are you now with his shoulder? And also making sure he's playing controlled basketball so that he doesn't go out there and get five fouls in 13 minutes. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of his strengths is his physicality. Um, and his mobility and his, uh, you know, he can guard a lot of different people. But uh, also at the same note, uh, you know, going out there and fouling isn't necessarily the worst thing if that's kind of what his role is, is to be a little bit of a, a of an enforcer and, and physical. But, yeah, Vic's, uh, Vic's ability to guard on the perimeter but also guard in the post while not giving anything up 
on the rebounding side is, uh, is, is what makes him unique. Where do you feel like Luis is most comfortable, Luis Rodriguez? Can he, can he be the big, you know, in a small lineup with him at the four? Is he more comfortable facing the basket? No, he's way more comfortable out on the perimeter. Okay. So I think he's somebody that can help. You know, he looks, he doesn't necessarily look all that big, but, you know, at 6'6", 210, he's, he's, he's pretty well built for a, for a guard on the perimeter. But, you know, the way he guards people and the, the athleticism and the mobility he has uh, defensively, then again with the way he shoots it, I think is, uh, is going to be able to kind of create a lot of different lineup looks for us and uh, where he can be one of the guards, but he could also be considered one of the bigs. And uh, if we were to go really small, I don't think he'd be uncomfortable out there at all. Kevin Kruger, the head coach of the Running Rebels, uh, this morning over at Mendenhall. They've been out there practicing for weeks and weeks now. Scrimmage last weekend. It's a little bit weird in some in terms of uh, results on these scrimmages because some programs will leak out results. UNLV keeps it pretty close to the vest. Really not even supposed to announce who they're playing. And few details have come out. Uh, like San Diego State and UCLA played, and I saw a guy tweeting last night who had like seven tweets of details on the game and how close it was. I think it was 89-86. Um, it was pointed out to me by uh, Kruger and others that a lot of these scrimmages, they don't play 40 minutes, and putting together like a full score is kind of pointless. There might yeah. be some situational stuff. It is a scrimmage. Yeah. So uh, apparently they did well against a – Big West team that they played last week, and that team was big. So they were happy about that. They got to match up against a team that was, you know, pretty uh, sizable because that's what they're going to match. San Diego State's going to be big this year. So they were big last year, and they had a uh, impact transfer sitting out who's six eight six nine. So that's going to be a big team. And Wyoming's going to be big again because EK's back and Maldonado at whatever he is, 30 now, is a, a big guard who's a you know a back-down guy. But they also added some more – some bigger pieces as well. And then there's going to be other teams in the Mountain West who are smaller. And like I said, that was my whole question about, you know, do you guys have the flexibility to be double big out there, have a form, you know, power forward and center on the floor, or, you know, when you're going to need it at times, there's going to be teams that want to play four out and you're going to need someone small playing power forward. So we'll see. Yeah, and they need to score. That's going to be the biggest question. That's the biggest question because I think they're going to defend really well. And I think what the whole scoring thing is going to force some lineups where maybe they're not putting their optimal defensive combination out there. Like, I don't know that if people haven't heard of Jackie Johnson, um, I think of all the transfers, he was the lowest rated guy. Uh, Evan Miyakawa, uh, I think is his name, um, at Evan Mia up on Twitter, does a really good job ranking the transfers. And Jackie Johnson from Duquesne was like in the 600s. Some of the other guys like Luis Rodriguez and Elijah Harkless were in the top 75. And, you know, from what we saw in Canada and what we've seen in practice, Jackie Johnson is going to be one of their three or four most important offensive players. Now, the, the deal is, can he play defense, right? He's like a little running back out there. He's not little. He's 5'11", probably 205. But, man, he turns the corner. He's a lefty. He's hard to defend. But he's going to have to play. He's going to have to play. So, yeah, these uh, – these scrimmages are, you know, not only to work out the kinks defensively, but kind of, you know, we talked about it last week with Kruger. Like, do you have, do you kind of feel like guys are starting to move into that alpha role? Because everything's changing this year. You have newcomers in, you have holdovers back. The holdovers are like, Bryce, go. Right? Bryce yeah. Hamilton averaged 25, 20, whatever, 23 and a half points a game in conference. Everything changes now. Can other guys step up into that role? I think Keyshawn Gilbert will try. 
I'm just not sure that he's like he's going to be way more polished than he was last year offensively. I think he's going to he is going to drive into the lane. He's going to draw a lot of fouls. He's going to create a lot of contact and a lot of havoc on both ends of the floor. But offensively, it is going to be fascinating to see what this team is. And the other thing is, I'm not sure that Harkless, and he's in from Oklahoma, and he's a guy who averaged about 11 points a game for Oklahoma. So you would think, hey, you know what? Maybe he can step up for this team, be a consistent guy at like 13 or 14. Isaiah Cottrell's back home, Adam, from West Virginia, went to Bishop Gorman. He's not 100% healthy. So he's he injured a foot on the trip to Canada. So we'll see how quick he comes along. So early in the season, there might be, you know, kind of that, Hey, what's going on here offensively? Those are two of their most important guys. Cause Cottrell, I think is going to be good around the 10. The other thing that he's going to be good at is pick and pop. Cause he can shoot the three. So this is not going to be a finished product peaking in game four this season. I still like the thought of late in the shot clock. Everybody just looking around for like, why? Where's Bryce? Right. Just give, give Bryce cl- the ball. Let's clear out. It? This guy's going to beat three guys and uh, make it, make something spectacular or draw a foul. And then you just look around and throw it to him and he's not there. Maybe sit in the front row watching the game. Yeah. It's rough. Well, we'll see who steps up, right? I think That's... Justin Webster can be a guy who's a gunner from the outside. I think Rodriguez is going to be kind of an inside-outside guy. But as I mentioned, a Kruger there, I, I think Luis is going to be one of those guys who's going to have to be out there as the four. You know, at 6'6", six, six, and he said he's 210. He actually looks a little bigger and thicker to me. Um, and then, you know, the other question is, can the bigs all stay healthy? Because by the end of last year, it was insane. You'd, you'd have lineups where Bryce Hamilton was playing the four on defense, <laughs> which th- that's not that's not fair to him at 6'3", six, 6'4", six, but that's what they had to do because they wanted a scoring lineup on the floor. And, you know, some you, you go against some, believe it or not, Wyoming is gigantic, you know? Yeah. But also, they, also to the thought of whether, you know, a – team fully built for defense that has scoring issues can win in the mountain west i mean that's what san diego state did for 15 years all right and but this year san diego is a little more offensive minded yeah. they're still gonna their their principles are still gonna be defense but the darian trammell kid they brought in from seattle is very good offensively so i think he's gonna change a lot for san diego state yeah so uh, basketball season starts up on november 7th as uh, the rebels have an opener coming up in just a couple of mondays Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Cofield and Company presents. Hey, hold on, hold Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Put your hand in there, Dave. So I mentioned earlier in the show that I finished off Cobra Kai. Enjoyed it. Season five. There's going to be a season six. I didn't even look it up. There is, right? They left it open-ended. Oh, yeah. All right. Has to be. Okay. Did you think it got a little, like, it went a little off script in terms of the viciousness? Like, that they were actually going to kill off characters? It's not yeah. that kind of show. If people I mean, don't know what Cobra Kai is, it's basically a new adaptation or, you know, it's, the, it's 30 years later from Karate Kid. It's awesome. It's funny. It's cheesy. Um, I thought this season very much repped or was almost like a paying honor to the cheese ball seventies karate movies that people loved. Sure. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was great. The fight scenes were just ridiculous, um, but it did get a little vicious. Like there were some samurai swords coming out and people were like losing fingers. And I thought a couple of people were going to get freaking stabbed to death or just like, you know, their head bludgeoned. I mean, yeah, it was a little bit of a departure in that regard, but at the same time, it's always just been so bizarre that 
a local karate tournament has turned into this total oh, yeah. chaos. Oh, it's great. And now at some point, if it keeps escalating, like people are going to die. Has to die. They have to. Is uh is Chosen dead or not? No. Okay. He was left with like he was left in a shallow pool slash fountain all sliced up by a sword. Did he bleed out? No, he came back, didn't he? I don't even know. I don't remember saying it at the end. Did. I thought did he walk. Did he walk into the final fight scene? Yeah, I thought they saw. I thought they saw him again. At Which, the by end. the way, I got chills. I got chills from. I know. I haven't, I haven't seen it in like a month and a half now. Yeah. So Machio, Machio did the crane. He got in the crane position, and I had to bring that back. You have to, of course. It's, you have I mean, to. it's incredibly cheesy, but the, it's somehow done in a way that's super cheesy, but also fine. I'm gonna say that Terry Silver is one of my favorite new, uh, old, brought back supervillains. What a vicious guy. He really is great. He's a great again, character. But again, it's this ultra rich dude who somehow is so invested in a local karate he loves, tournament. He loves Cobra Kai. He, <laughs> and you know, it's funny. You know, I mention all the time that the uh, significant other, my uh, lady friend is from the Valley and she laughs all the time. She's like the Valley. Like they're always saying like, it's just like crazy place. The Valley. It's so nice. It's ridiculous. The whole, everything about it is ridiculous. I got to throw this one at you. And it may have been just... By the way, like there, there was a, also the new season of All-American has started. Okay, I got uh, I don't know. You're like five seasons behind at this well, point. Well, I got you know what? I got sidetracked on this uh, on this UNLV trip to Notre Dame. Because when I when I travel with UNLV is when I watch the, uh, the All-American or All-American. But I got sidetracked by Lord of the Rings. Uh, and I was able to watch like... Five episodes oh, going back and forth. It was terrible. great. Yeah, it was freaking great. Uh, it was when, great. When you do catch up on American, just to to that point though, the, last night there was a scene, and uh, one of the characters was like, "I have to make a run out to the valley," and you're going with me. I'm like, what the valley? valley? They have all those like, karate people. No out there. way, I'm going out to the valley. It's dangerous. I saw. I, you know what? I I wanted to catalog it for the show. I saw some piece on Machio was addressing that Karate Kid. Was that '84? That karate kid was too white. So I was thinking of like, wait, like what do they what do they want in the movie? Like it the the one of the main characters was a little Asian guy. Sure. Was there supposed to be like an African American contingent or a storyline in it? I mean, I'd have to I have to go back and look and see. Uh, there was a lot of white folk, but I feel like I don't know, isn't karate a fairly white sport? That too. Although, you know, Cobra Kai now, no. No, no. No, and, no and they're recruiting. One. But they're recruiting very hard to expand their, their demo. Do you want, like, Easy e Ice Cube over from, you know, Taft High School? Or little known fact, Mark McMillan, actually a Compton guy, went to Granada Hills. Talked wow. to Mark about that. So wow. Mark was a Valley High School guy. Like a Mark McMillan character in there. Was he in the All-Valley? I don't think he was in the All no, Valley. We're gonna have to ask him this Friday. If you know, we'll ask him when he watched Karate Kid. And he was like, "Wait, I go to school in the Valley. Why? How come? How come we're not represented?" They should have been, but it's also like it, what I get it. But wasn't it was, that kind of the time, high school that the high school was like kind of Johnny and the you know the obnoxious Karate Kids from yeah. Cobra Kai, and then the, the you know the Newark kid from New Jersey, <laughs> so dumb, who was like thirty five, who was thirty five. Which you know, it's funny when I watch they were showing old scenes of Terry Silver. Back then, the actor who plays Terry Silver and and uh, Machio and Silver was kind of mentoring for a little bit. And what what was it like three or something? Yeah. And I, I think I think the actor who plays Terry Silver is like three years older than Ralph Machio. Machio might be older. I'm always amazed how old he is. He really was like 27. He just looks super young. <laughs> completely. But I think he, I think he's like 60 now. 
Yes, he's got. I mean, he's late fifties. He's probably about five or six years older than uh, than Johnny. Okay, way too much Cobra Kai talk, or is it not enough? Have we been holding back on the audience? So Terry Silver, the actor, sixty right now. I think Machio's either 59, 60, 61 years old. That's crazy. That's crazy. They are the same age. They're the same age. That's same awesome. age. Yep. And he was like the the slightly older mentor. Yeah. Having Machio break his hands on uh, I don't know what that apparatus was, was. He was already like a businessman. Yes, he was. He so was he a very was wealthy business. Definitely man. supposed to be older than the and high school. Supposed kid. to be like late thirties. Yeah. And then there's Crease, who in real life I think is like 88 years old, but is still a killer. I was going to say he's younger than them. No, he's not younger than him. He actually, I've I've looked him up because he's been he's done a. I'm very jealous. He's done a couple of spots, I think, with Petros and uh, Money. Okay. I think that's the show he's been on. But he's done a couple of sports radio spots, maybe on ESPN 710 in LA. Uh, back in the back, stick your hand in there, Dave. Yeah, he still kicks ass. Um, you had something about Vince Vaughn and yeah. football scene. Vince Vaughn and Wedding Crashers. Vince Vaughn, uh, one of the All Star guests on Manicast last night. What a lineup! They Who had. was on the show? Bill Burr, Obama. Vince Vaughn, wow. pretty good, pretty well, good guest taking lineup. Taking up the rear for many, uh, sure. Uh, Vince Vaughn did finally confirm, which I think anybody that has watched football or Wedding Crashers knew, that the football scene when he's calling audibles and hot routes, hot route, hot route, that's it, that was inspired by Peyton Manning. Nice. I mean, I think we all kind of knew that, but he did confirm it. Brilliant movie. That was a, that was a good scene. Yes. He also did. He was talking about. Uh, he said Bradley Cooper. Uh, he thought went a little too method, and was really hitting him, like in the football scenes. And he's like, well, I watch you it, don't yeah. have to. And and if you in the movie, he was laying him out like bat. And Vince Vaughn said he just got a little too into the scenes, and he was just hitting me very hard. Stick your hand in there, Dave. What is going on with one of the Raiders reporters? The athletic guy, Deshaun. Sure. He got blown up on TMZ for one ripping Vegas barbecue. Wait, what? Oh, you didn't see this? No. Oh, you got to click on the link. No, he got a. He ripped Vegas bar. He put Vegas barbecue basically sucks in a tweet with Iggy Azalea sucks, and then Iggy responded to it. Oh, I did not know. You that. haven't seen this? No. Oh, I got to save this. This is a whole thing. It deserves a lot more than two I, I minutes. And, and the thread, the thread on his tweet was just murderous. People went after him big time. A lot of Iggy Azalea lovers out there. But can I also? Wow, I'm reading this right now. Uh, I also will point out that I don't think it's Iggy's fault that he got, went after her. It's the fault of our good friend Paul Gutierrez. Was he hammering her? No, he. As we worked, we were all her? we were all in the press box until yeah. like nine or ten o'clock on Sunday night after the game writing. Right, right. And Paul kept breaking into song. Oh, really? Singing Iggy Azalea songs. Oh, so he got he got I he think, got worked at that. Yeah, I think he was mad at that. He's grumpy at that. Yes. Yeah. From from one from a grump expert, why is he always grumpy? Paul or Tashawn? Tashawn. Why why is what's with the anti Vegas food thing? I don't know. He's very he is very particular. It was from the get go. About his food. When he got here. I think we brought I think we brought up some food. We did one interview with him. Was Missouri guys think nobody else has good barbecue. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. You can find good food anywhere. Of course you can. If you want to be all picky. I mean, I like the the food from my home state, but you know, let's relax. You can find pizza and Italian food and whatever else, you know, pork roll, you can find it at other places. Okay. 
I think Tashawn is probably just happy that this has put away some of the other tweets that people have gone after him for. Oh, I think they were rolled into the oh, reaction. Okay. So. Okay, oh, yeah, no, it was it was it was all part of it. Okay. Um, I know you're not going to do an investigative piece on this, and I don't think this is being like creepy or misogynist because she actually kind of like like patted it. That is still a real butt on Iggy's out. I have no idea. My God, the fans a lot of were so much power. It. Just, just wow. A lot of force generated. Is that right? I don't, I don't know. No, Waves through the crowd? Sure. Who was better? Did you get to watch either one of them? JoJo or Iggy Azalea? She did the anthem. She was very good. Yeah? Yeah. And Iggy has the advantage of doing a set at halftime yes. over just the anthem. Yes. JoJo still crushed it. Thanks to Battleboard Injury. JoJo was for, on All-American last year. Also. For, for, for hosting the show. Good job by Ari. For Adam, it's Cofield. Listen to the archives of the show at lvsportsnetwork.com.